Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, we have committed to study as a team and preach through Proverbs 1 through 9, which is the parental section. Let me just say, looking at so many families here and so many kids who are here, it's encouraging that you've come, especially on a night like this and a subject like this, to be able to talk about these things with your children. It is one of the deceptive parts of the enemy's strategy to get the Christian church to think about intimacy and, and sex outside of the confines of the Bible, therefore letting Hollywood and the school hallways define those things for us. But Solomon had a very specific target in wanting his sons and his daughters to understand his heart from a biblical perspective. As I said this morning, this is the fifth of five specific sections that Solomon anchors to his passion for his son, Rehoboam, to whom he's writing to be sexually pure. This is the most extended section. In some senses, it's the most penetrating. I wanna read the whole chapter for you and then we are going to do a high altitude flyover and look at it because this is not a section that needs to be chopped up. It's one message and we need to take it as one lump sum. But I think that it's, it's most effective when we just hear it as Solomon wrote it. Proverbs chapter seven. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. And my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend that they may keep you from an adulteress, from a foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the streets near her corner and he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the darkness, and behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him with and with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings today, but I paid my vows. Therefore, I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I've found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, with the colored linens of Egypt. I've lined, I have sprinkled in my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning, let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband, he's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as one in fetters or chains to the discipline of a fool until arrows pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know 
that it will cost him his life. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. The anchor of this passage is in verse six, where Solomon says, at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice or lattice work. Solomon is describing a scene that he has observed by looking out his window and the lattice work is important because that means it's, he's shattered. He can't be seen, but he can see what's happening in the streets. You hear all the time from my real estate friends Three most important words are location, 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 usually cited as a central factor in buying or purchasing land or a building. But real estate is not the only place location matters. If you attend any kind of event, my suspicion is one of the first things you consider is where you will sit. Now, just to remind everyone, lest someone think that I'm rude, I need to say this often, I am completely deaf in my right ear. And when we go into a restaurant or we go into a house, the first thing I do is figure out where can I sit where my good side is facing the people that I want to hear and my bad side is facing Aaron. <laughs> I'm sorry, you sat in the wrong place. <laughs> where you sit, where, where you place yourself is critically important. Football games, baseball games, sitting at the 50, sitting behind a home plate, great seats. Watching fireworks, being underneath them versus being too far away. We can talk about location from a lot of perspectives. Solomon is given an intensive location in where he writes this chapter from. Because from this location, he's observed something that happened that he wants his sons to listen to so that they don't do what he has seen. We have been marching at a pretty fast pace through Proverbs and we're now here in chapter seven. Again, coming up, finishing the thought at the end of chapter six, the subject is sexual purity. Remember the first nine chapters, as I said, are, are a specific contextual section. Once you get to chapter 10, it's those pithy little sayings that can be laced together in some topical fashions, but they're not as much context as in these first nine chapters. And chapter seven is one unit, one giant paragraph as it were. This evening we're gonna look at the whole chapter in seven. We're gonna, we're gonna go fast, but I think it's important to stitch it together. Solomon is going to inform us that he has watched and witnessed and seen the destruction of a young man going to his demise by making wrong decisions about sexual purity. And he's seen it from a very good seat, from his palace, looking into the streets, looking through his lattice work where he would not be seen. We're gonna move fast, but we're gonna break this passage down by looking at three sure considerations for sexual purity. Three sure considerations for sexual purity. The second point will be the longest and it has a progression in it, just a little head start on where we're gonna go. Number one, comprehend the value of biblical wisdom. We looked at this in chapter five, same point, comprehend the value of biblical wisdom. 
my son, stop. Solomon is talking very specifically, sometimes euphemistically, and sometimes graphically to his children about this issue. Parents, there is a world of theology in the simple two words, my son. Don't let gender trip you up too much. My daughter would work equally as well here. If you don't teach your children about intimacy and purity, someone else will. And how, whatever age you think is a good time to begin teaching them that, I would probably back that up a couple years. The Bible doesn't blush when it talks about sex. It doesn't blush when it talks about physical intimacy. It doesn't blush when it talks about the connection with these, these uh, gifts of God to love. This is a father-son talk. If you're uncomfortable dads talking to your sons about this, I guess the word is repent, stop. Take them out, talk to them about it. They're gonna listen to someone. I remember in Proverbs 5 telling you the story that is worth repeating when my oldest son was in between third and fourth grade. We were at, uh, uh, I picked him up from baseball practice on Monday night and uh, he sits in the car and he says, Dad, what is sex? Now, I was careful because I didn't know if he was filling out some form and it was male or female. You know, I wanted to make sure that wasn't I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, Billy, who was a really good pitcher, by the way, uh, he asked me if I knew and I said no, so he's gonna tell me Saturday at the game. What do you do? Well, we got up early on Saturday, went to Pete's Coffee. He had a blueberry muffin and I stammered and stumbled and told him this is what it is and this is the gift of God and I explained the whole thing to him and uh, kind of thought I was winning father of the year for a few moments until... I said, do you have any questions? And he said, I don't think so. And then this horror came over his face. You and mom? And you could just see. And I said, well, well, of course. He says, but only, we have three sons. He said, only three times, right? So I recognized that I had left a lot out. The father of the year evaporated in that moment. I'm gonna admit to you, that was, that was awkward. We laughed. We laughed at each other. We laughed at me a lot. I said, this is embarrassing, son. This is, and we had fun. We still look back to that with a kind of a moment of treasure. I was able to tell my other two sons as well by God's grace, but I did not, I was not able to tell any of my three sons anything about the intimacy of marriage before they have been told something wrong by someone else. Don't wait. God intends, mom and dad, for you to share this gift of God and to explain it to your children early enough so that they can begin talking to you about this as they grow and they're never growing into a stage where they're in junior high, high school, college, and they don't feel like they can talk to you about this because there was never any groundwork laid. My son, keep my words, treasure my commandments within you, keep my commandments and live. Life and death are at stake. My teaching as the apple of your eye, that's the object of your eye, that's the thing you want and desire and treasure the most. It's what you possess and protect. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. 
Say to wisdom, you, wisdom, you're my sister. And call understanding, another word for wisdom, your best friend, your intimate friend. Look at these verbs, keep, treasure, store, bind, write. These are words of inward assimilation. Draw them into yourself. Make sure these are truths that are building convictions. Sister, say to them, you're my sister, my intimate friend, my best friend. It's the language of courtship and love. It's the language of relationship. In other words, our children are to have a relationship. We are to have a relationship with wisdom on the issues of intimacy so that we have a biblical theology of intimacy. We can measure our actions and our thoughts against that. Like in chapter five, the point is simple. The right woman will keep you from the wrong woman. That's what we'll find out in a moment. In chapter five, it's a wife. Here, it's wisdom. Verse five, that they, these pearls of wisdom, will keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. This is not gender or sex specific, it could be an adulterer as well. The target of his application is someone who would tempt you to pursue any kind of sexual experience outside the bond of marriage. Don't limit this to gender. Don't limit this to a, an adulteress or a prostitute alone. Prostitution, by the way, involves a sexual escapade with someone you don't have any relationship with. That's also a fit description of pornography. A sexual relationship with someone that you have no relationship with. The question again is whether Solomon's son, Rehoboam, you and me, our children, will listen to God's instruction, God's insights, God's wisdom. Do we, have we developed a biblical theology for intimacy? So he's saying, first of all, understand the value of biblical wisdom. This will keep you from trouble. Theology matters. Theology matters a lot. Learning how to think biblically about these matters is is so important that I think the devil has perverted our understanding of intimacy in, in today's world such that we, we're, we're bashful to talk about it. We feel awkward even sitting in church saying these things. Solomon has no issues. He doesn't pull any punches. He says, you need to listen and have a biblical theology for sex, intimacy, and marriage. Comprehend the value of it. Number two, and this is the bulk of the chapter, understand the elements of sexual immorality. Understand the elements of sexual immorality. He goes to the window in verse six. He says, I looked through my lattice work. We, we said that's where Solomon sits and he watches this, this story unfold. It breaks his heart. It grips his soul. He immediately wants to take that experience of watching this man fall into a trap and transform that into a lesson that his son can hear and learn and apply. He says, I saw an event. I observed it through the window of my house. Richard Clifford writes, the woman is all activity and all awareness, speaking and acting, whereas this young man is silent, unsuspecting, led rather than leading. And that can certainly be the case with a young woman as well. In fact, perhaps in our day, it's more 
the vulnerability more shifts to the woman than even the man. Let's break it down even further. What are these elements? What are these elements of sexual immorality? First of all, there's naivete. Naivete, just being naive. Verse seven. I saw among the naive and I discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. The English is so sweet the way it says that. A young man lacking sense. The Hebrew reads more like this. I saw a young man who was utterly clueless. Stupid. Unaware. Innocence can make us stupid. So can sin. Solomon sees this poor guy minding his own business, playing right into the trap of a sexual predator. Yes, it can happen to a guy, but most often, as I said, it happens to young women. I care about you. I love you. The key phrase here is lacking sense. The point is that you can gain sense if you lack it and not fall victim to your own desires. Innocence, innocence is wonderful, it's great, but don't let innocence become a sinful curiosity. That's why I think it's so important for parents to talk to our children about these things. So that first element is naivete, just clueless, just not, no guard up, just walking into a trap. Secondly, nearness, nearness. Passing through the streets near her corner, her part of town. And he takes the way to her house. Solomon looks through the last work. He sees this young man walking in dangerous territory. He's close to this adulteress. The context indicates that he knows who she is. She, he knows what she's about. And he just wants to get close. I don't think there's any in, uh, indication, there is an indication in this text where this young man says, oh, I'm gonna go fall into sexual immorality. He's just kind of gonna be close. We've discussed before that question I, I get asked often in relationships and premarital relationships is, well, how, how, how much can we do physically? How far can we go physically? You know, hold hands, hug, on down the description. What that does is it looks at ultimate sin, sexual immorality, and says, how close can I go to that and still be safe? The right question is not how far can I go, but how holy can I be? How far can I stay away? This guy is not staying away. He is intentionally going near where she is. He's not trying to stay as far away from sin as possible. This could be for couples who are dating him a car, a closed room, a house or an apartment with no one home, a computer screen with no one looking over your shoulder, clicking on things that are provocative, searching for things that are explicit, a hotel room with HBO or Showtime or movies that you can rent, getting close to the idea of sin. Solomon's point is simple. You can't get into trouble if you're not near it. Pretty simple, isn't it? You can't get into trouble if you're not near it. 
And this guy's just really, really close. Third element is secrecy. Verse nine. In the twilight, it's getting dark. In the evening, now it's completely dark. Dusky dark moving into full darkness. And then into the late middle of the night. There's a progression here. And in the darkness. Sexual sin seeks secrecy. Seeks privacy. Seeks anonymity. Seeks to be hidden. The question Solomon is raising is what would you do to be near sexual temptation? Because it almost always involves secrecy and hiding and aloneness. Do you have apps on your phone or apps on your computer that are anonymous, that are, that are, that are a temptation? My wife and I made a, a commitment many years ago that we'll have nothing, nothing secret on any of our devices. She can look at any of my texts, any of my emails. I gotta be careful with that because sometimes I'll tell her there's confidential emails in my church email that, that, and she's very wise to, to do that. I wanna certainly protect if any of you would email me something that's confidential, but there's no secrets. She knows all my passwords to everything. In fact, I don't know all my passwords to anything, but, but she does, she knows how to get them. Um, and that's not because I'm so holy, it's because I'm completely untrustworthy. I don't trust myself. I don't wanna have access to anything that I don't have accountability toward. Secrecy. More sin happens at night, if you read the scriptures, or at least in dark, than any other time. Not exclusively, but there's definitely a a point to be made that you don't do things that cannot be seen. Uh, I, I do remember as my wife and I were engaged in getting close to marriage, we were wanting to maintain purity. And so there was this new place you could go. We had started having these dates at this place where it was public and we could talk and plan the wedding and stuff. It was a new place called Starbucks. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about our, how old we are, I think. Um, and we just said, we, we just need to stay public. And by the way, that's not to promote Kim and me as some kind of virtuous model. It's to say we were scared of making a mistake. Fourth element here is immodesty. Immodesty, immodesty. And this is so clear. Solomon says in verse 10, behold, or guess what? This woman, she comes to meet him. Could be a man coming to meet a girl. Dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She's boisterous, rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, lurks by every corner. The idea here is there was a corner he knew she would be at. Had he not gone there, she would have found him. Pretty interesting. This is probably not immodest revealing clothing in the sense that we think of immodesty, but rather something that indicated to the young man that she was available and she was loose. For us, immodesty can mean being extravagant. It can also mean revealing God. If you go back to Genesis chapter three, God intended that clothes would, clothing would conceal nakedness. 
clothing industry today creates clothing that reveals nakedness. Notice the woman is all about everything except being a worker at home, which is what Proverbs 31 would highlight. She's loud, no gentle, no quiet spirits, the exact opposite of a godly woman. She's overt, outgoing, promiscuous, and inviting. And this can be the, these can be the characteristics of a man as well. So, let's back up. Solomon sees this guy, clueless but curious. He goes where the woman is, where he knows, gets near. She comes out immodestly. And then we find another element in verses 13 to 15. Touch, touch. So she seizes him and kisses him. Physical contact. It's not just in the mind. It's not just in the temptation. Now it's taken on a physical dimension and aspect. Notice there's a progression here. From far away to near, from near to talking, from talking to observing, from observing to touching. And with a brazen face, an unashamed face, literally, no shame, she says to him, this is interesting. I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I've paid my vows. Therefore, I can come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. Your presence earnestly there is, is pretty intense in the Hebrew, to seek your physical presence earnestly. Physical touch is a sexual trigger that God has created. If you want to struggle with temptation, Get physical with someone, and it doesn't have to be much. Vows means she was, she was going to go to sacrifice. She was going to go to worship. She should have been in a better place. And instead of being with God and God's people, she actually trades that in on an early morning visit to the synagogue or the temple since Solomon's write this, it's probably either the late tabernacle or the temple he is building. I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I've paid my vows. There's a lot of debate about this because she was due to do it, but she says she's paid her vows. Most scholars agree that she basically has, has justified not going to do what was right. She may have gone, but she didn't do everything. She wasn't there long enough to be kept far from trouble. She's back where she shouldn't be. I've come to seek your presence early and I found you. There's intentionality about immorality. Seems innocent, but there's intentionality. And it, it, don't miss the fact in verse 13 that it, it's, it involves touching. Now we have to be careful here. Um, I, th th there, are, there are multiple kinds of human touch. Um, if, you, if you greet someone and there's a, there's a friendly hug, which we all recognize and I hope we never get rid of that in the church especially. But there's also a kind of physical touch that is more than just a greeting. That's what is in, in view here. Which leads to the next element, opportunity. Opportunity, verse 16. And this is 
graphic, but I'm gonna let it be as euphemistic as Solomon makes it. I've spread my couch with coverings. I've gotten the bed ready for you know what. With colored linens of Egypt, I've made it comfortable. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. I've made it smell nicely, a pleasant place. Verse 18, come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Yes, that is exactly what you think he's talking about, she's talking about. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. And that means exactly what you think he means. Then we find out something in verse 19 that is unexpected. This is not just a single gal looking for a single guy. It's not a single guy looking for a single gal. Listen to the, the, the breaks screech in Rehoboam's mind when Solomon tells him, verse 19, she said, for my husband. It's not a home. She's married. Where is he? He's gone on a long journey. How long? He took a bag of money with him. This is not, there's no, no ATMs and no credit cards. He had to take a large bag for a long journey of money. At full moon, he will come home. We don't know exactly what that is, but full moon indicates a month. So this could be, have been as long as a month. The point was, she knew she was safe. She thought she was safe. So she invites him in for this sexual escapade. Some premeditation on her part. She's gotten the bed ready. Everything is ready. And again, verse 18 is about as forward as it gets. Come, let us... Be immoral all night. Did he respond right away? I don't think so. Because now we come to our next element, flirtation. Verse 21, with many persuasions, it doesn't appear as if he responded immediately because she has to talk him into it, persuade him, flirt with him. She entices him. That entices the same idea as flirt. She flirts with him. She persuades him. She talks him. She flatters him. She seduces him. She tempts him. It's amazing how powerful words can be to move the human heart. With all this in this chapter, it's the flirtation of her lips that seals the deal. I think Solomon is saying, son, Rehoboam, don't be talked into sexual sin. Oh, this is okay. This is fine. God's okay with this. We're going to get married. On and on, I've heard them all. By the way, this is a classic ploy of guys. Girls, single girls, can I just be a little bit of a gray-haired father for you for a moment? A grandfather for some of you? If a guy praises your physical features more than your character, watch out. Watch out. At the other end, if he stops praising your physical features after you get married, get counsel. Proverbs 5 says, because of the exhilarating love that these two people share, the physical flows out of that. The point here is beware of the flirt. Beware of flirtation. 
And then lastly, in this list is compromise, verses 22 and 23. Suddenly, this is such an important word, suddenly, he, he seems to be resisting, she has to talk him into it, she's persuasive, she's flirting, then suddenly it happens. He follows her, and look at how he describes it, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in chains and fetters to the discipline of a fool until arrows pierce through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. So he does not know that it will cost him his life. The image here is of an ox going to the slaughter. This would have happened in the sacrificial system. This also happened as just a normal part of eating hamburgers, eating cows. I've been to butcheries and watched cows being led up from, from a, a large pen into a narrow uh, kind of almost gated hallway and they just walk mooing and happy as they can be right up into the, up the ramp, around the corner, right to their death. That's the picture here. He says, these animals, they don't, they don't know what's coming. They just walk right into death. That's the picture. Suddenly he follows her like that. Then he says, as, as one who's chained to the discipline of a fool. In other words, there are criminals and, and people who have committed things that are illegal who are chained and brought to their justice. In other words, they, they've been brought against their will because they're chained, that's the idea. Then as, as someone who likes to hunt, let me tell you a little bit about verse 23, until an arrow pierces through his liver. If you were to shoot an arrow through an animal, there are many places that the animal could be shot that would not be lethal. A liver shot is always lethal, and that's his point here. It's one of the most vascular parts of an animal, and to kill it, to, to hit the liver is to see it bleed out. As a bird hastens to the snare, what they would do to, to catch birds was very ingenious. In fact, some uh, in the lower part of Israel still do it to this day. They would put, in effect, bird seed or, or corn or some kind of, a, of bait for the birds out up against a, um, a, a cliff. They would have two people with a weighted net. The birds would come in at the bottom of the cliff to begin uh, eating. They would throw the net and catch them in the snare. So, he doesn't know it's gonna kill him. It's gonna cost him his life. But finally, it happens. He can say no to his lusts no longer. She can resist the wooing of a man no longer. Stops listening to principles, giving in to a racing heart and a raging desire, and it only ends in destruction. It's pretty serious, isn't it? And this is what Solomon says, I saw happen. I want you, son, to know this. Dads, sit down with your daughters and warn them about what a guy will say to her to get her to go farther than the Lord would be honored by. Parents, talk to your sons about never putting a woman in a compromising situation. Now that's the easy part. That the, one of the lessons here is the parent talking to the child. But what about you and me? Shouldn't we stay as far away from sexual sin as we can? I, 
I struggle to talk about this because I, I've been, uh, I guess it's my pride, I've been accused of being legalistic on things, but can I just ask you about your entertainment habits? Do you watch people do things immorally that you would not condone and somehow justify it as it's just art, it's just entertainment? My, my question from my own heart in, in, in these scenes is, well, what does God think about that? You need to make some ask, ask some heavy questions about having movie channels in your home. Maybe even having television at all. Those are convictions that you need to talk through and pray through within your family. It's the internet. The internet can also be this. It's anonymous, it's accessible, and it's affordable. I grieve for this younger generation. I grieve for my sons. When I was growing up, access to pornography meant that someone down the street had someone, something in print under a mattress that you went to, to try to look at. It was a physical thing. You had to make an effort to go. It's not that way anymore. You can see things on your phone. God help us to train our minds to have a biblical theology that will teach our hearts to resist and not justify comprehend the value of biblical wisdom. Secondly, understand the elements of sexual immorality. See that progress in that pattern. Number three, contemplate the consequences of moral failure. Exactly where Solomon ends the chapter in chapter five, ends the, the same teaching in chapter five. Contemplate the consequences of moral failure, verse 24. Now, therefore, my sons, it becomes plural right there. My sons, he's expanding it, not just to Rehoboam, but I think to all of the Hebrew youths. Listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Listen up, look up, lock in, load your mind to hear this. He's already said this. He just makes sure to grab their chin and say, are you listening to me? Listen. Do not, verse 25, do not let your heart turn aside to her Ways is probably not the best translation there. Her paths, her habits, her seduction. Do not stray near her area, her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down. And numerous are all her slain. It's incredible that usually flirts and seductresses and seductors... Don't do it just once. There's an expansion of sexual desire and it's spread among many victims. Many are the victims she's cast down. Numerous are all her slain. And then the ultimate climax of the passage is in verse 27. Her, her house is the way to death, to Sheol, the abode of the dead. It'll kill you. Descending to the chambers of death. That could mean physical disease. That could mean physical death. In this context, if you go, if you go back to Proverbs 6, you know, uh, uh, an adulter uh, a man whose who's, uh, marriage has been violated, will, will, um, who's violated a marriage, that, that reproach will not be blotted out. Jealousy can enrage. I mean, they, they would kill you for this. 
could mean also spiritual decline and spiritual death. I mean, are you looking at things that, that are causing your conscience to be seared and your, your sensitivity to be numbed, your justification to rise to say, this is okay, I can handle this, or the one I hear so often that's, that's so grievous is this is art. Location, location, location should really be construed as distance, distance, distance. Matthew 5 is the New Testament equivalent of this where Jesus says, in only the way that he can because he's God who wrote the book of Proverbs, he says, you've heard it said that a man should not commit adultery. But I say to you, he adds his insights up to the equivalent of God's word because he's God. If a man looks on a woman with lust, he has committed adultery with her where? In, in his heart. Guard your mind, guard your eyes. Listen, friends, there is no delete button for your brain. If it ever goes in, it's there somewhere. Protect your visual stimuli, protect physical contact, protect your wisdom in how near you would get to opportunities to be tempted. There's so many layers of application here. It's, it's a parenting chapter at one level, isn't it? But it's also a practical chapter for all of us as a man, as a woman, to not engage in flirtatious progressions that lead to inappropriate touching that lead to all night escapades. Solomon tells his son this. He says, don't do that. You know what the good news is about this? And I, I, every time we talk about these, I wanna be sure to say, there's grace for those who've fallen into this. The gospel is bigger than any sin or failure, any image you've ever put in your mind, any encounter you've ever had. The gospel is bigger than this. The gospel forgives. The Lord Jesus can forgive anything and everything you've ever done. Every thought you've ever had that's a wrong thought. Every action you've ever done that's an inappropriate action. God's forgiveness in the gospel can cover it. You cannot out God's grace. That's why it's called good news, right? So I'm always aware when we have passages like this that there's someone probably sitting here who thinks, oh man, I, I was that guy, I was that woman. I, I, this could describe something. You have such a loving God who is ready and willing to forgive and move you forward in a life of purity tonight. Don't be trapped, don't be trapped. Don't fall into the trap of the enemy who would say you are now strung up by your past. No one is strung up by the past. I have witnessed, I have seen God's grace in people's life move from a position of impropriety and immorality to righteousness and holiness. And God uses all things for good and actually moves them into a place of greater intimacy with him and ultimately greater intimacy with a spouse. Don't despair. There's grace for your sin and it's bigger than your sin. 
Solomon says, son, listen to me. And we are all sons and daughters at the feet of Solomon tonight. The question is, are you gonna listen to him? Will you listen to him? Parents, probably time to think about those conversations you have had or will have. And, and by the way, that's never one conversation. Uh, it's multiple conversations. What a joy you have if you have younger children that they can hear about this from you. I don't care how much you think you're protecting them, how much innocence you're trying to guard. They'll hear something from someone. Be the instructor and the corrector. Give them a theology for intimacy. Sex is God's wedding gift. He doesn't intend for it to be opened before the time 